Hello and welcome to Decision NYC with Ben Max. I'm Ben Max, your host and the executive editor of Gotham Gazette. The 2021 New York City election season is well underway and it's poised to be the most significant municipal election in decades. All of city government is on the ballot and because so few incumbents are eligible to run for their current seats due to term limits, New Yorkers are electing many new office holders and the next roster of leadership for our city. There will be a new mayor of New York City elected here in 2021, as well as a new city controller, several new borough presidents, and many new city council members. And that's not all that's on the ballot. A number of incumbents are eligible for and seeking re-election, including the city's public advocate. And there's a very crowded and competitive race for Manhattan district attorney and more. Party primaries are set for June and the general election will culminate on November 2nd. This is the first full set of municipal elections that will include both early voting and the new ranked choice voting system. We'll describe ranked choice voting in another show, but it only applies to party primaries and special elections. The city election cycle would be of enormous importance even under more usual circumstances, but it's unfolding at a time of great crisis for our city, raising the stakes of the decisions that you, the voter, will make. The new wave of city leadership will quite clearly make or break the city's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and its devastation across our city. Its impacts on families, health, jobs, housing, education, and much more. It's also important to note, of course, that the city was facing a number of intense crises even before COVID and several of those have only worsened. So it's an important time of choosing here in New York City, and we're pleased to bring you this series of interviews with the candidates running for citywide offices, mayor, public advocate, controller, as well as interviews with candidates for borough-wide offices like borough president and district attorney. And eventually there'll be debates. These one-on-one -on -one conversations though will help you get to know the candidates better, learn about their views, their resumes, and their vision for the future of New York City and the office they seek. We hope this and other interviews will be helpful as you sort through your many choices and make informed decisions when it's time to vote. So today's interview, I'm joined now by Maya Wiley, a Democratic candidate for New York City Mayor. Maya Wiley, thanks so much for being with me. Uh, it's great to be with you, Ben, particularly since we're color coordinated today. Yes, we have <laughs> our good, good matching purple uh, today. So before we get into your campaign for mayor, take a couple minutes, catch people up who aren't as familiar with you on your background, where you come from, uh, what you've done. Oh, thanks. And look, I come from activists. I come from civil rights activists who are also at the forefront of the economic justice movement. Uh, and I say that because as a New Yorker, as someone who is, came here for law school, came to be a civil rights lawyer and racial justice advocate, because of how I was raised and because of what I cared about. And I've been here for 30 years doing that and everything from litigation like ACLU and NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Foundation World, and also founding my own not-for-profit policy advocacy organization called the Center for Social Inclusion. But everything I've done, every step I've taken has always been about creating more coalition and building more opportunity for communities of color because it lifts all boats. Because at the end of the day, it is about all of us. And it's part of what called me in the race as a mom with two daughters who've been in New York City public schools and have also have no other place they wanna live other than New York City. 
and I'm not going anywhere either. And that's a big part of what called me into the race. Does New York City need uh, a major shift for the future, some significant sort of changes and, and tweaks to how business is done through city government? Or are we talking about a sort of sweeping overhaul as to how business is done in New York City government under a Maya Wiley uh, mayoralty? Well, you know, Ben, you said something early in your introduction that was so important, which is that we're in a historic crisis. And it is a cr crisis of massive proportion. It's affected every last one of us. The, the COVID pandemic is its source. But the truth is that we were, and you said it, we had crises before COVID hit. COVID has laid that bare has fast-tracked some of it, made it deeper and more profound. But the truth is that uh, I think we need bold and transformational leadership because so much was broken in the city before COVID. Doesn't mean it didn't have all the things we loved about it. And one of the things I've always loved is that everyone is here. And that that's one of the things we need to recover, but we were needing to recover that even before COVID, because as we know, we had too much displacement. We had the, it was so expensive to live here. Even the middle class has been squeezed. We have had problems in our school systems with every last one of our children being given an a good quality education that all of these things are things that need fixing and that are worse now because of COVID. So that means we can't do business as usual and it can't be a politics that finds the paths of least resistance. It has to be bold and it has to put people at the center and it has to call us together to partner and that's why I'm running. When you talk about fighting for racial justice, fighting for equity and that um, it, it lifts all boats, that also, though, means, as, as you just said, when uh, it comes also to, to going bold and, and moving big ideas and big changes to how things are done, that also creates uh, a lot of discomfort for people at times. It creates uh, you know, pushback. It creates people threatening to leave the city. It creates uh, nimbyism. There's all sorts of forces that will rise up uh, in the face of people promising more sweeping change, especially people who have resources, who like uh, the status quo. How do you think about combating those forces and getting buy-in broadly? Uh, you need to do that, obviously, to win a mayor's race, but that's, that's somewhat about just building a winning coalition. But as mayor, how do you, how do you think about getting a, a really broad swath of people to buy into a bold transformational vision for change? You know, I, this is something that I've been doing my whole career, because <laughs> this is what it means to be a racial justice advocate is calling people together and talking about what ails all of us, because the truth is so much that is broken is broken for all of us. It's just who is experiencing the worst and deepest pain of it, right? And so, so often it's about being principled being clear about our principles and our values, because New Yorkers love the fact that this is a diverse city. New Yorkers love the fact that we have people from so many different countries here. New Yorkers love the culture that that brings to the city. And New Yorkers, every last one of us wants to be safe, wants to be healthy, wants to know we can see a doctor when we're sick, wants to know our kids can afford to live in this city no matter what they choose to do for a living. And those are shared principles and values. So a big part of it is naming it. 
uh, and is looking at where and how we have to invest in making those things happen. It's calling folks to the table, listening and learning and leading in partnership. And we've had far too little of that over the last seven years. And that has to change. It's why we don't have a lot of trust in government. But when we do that, and I say this, Ben, as someone who talks to everyone, and including business leaders, and if I say, you know, I think we have to have everyone put what they can on the table. Some of our folks have know-how, have expertise, have ideas. Some of our folks have resources, as well as expertise and ideas. Where we have resources, we need to invest in recovering what we love about the city while we're reimagining it so it continues to work for us and work for all of us. And I find it's a very different conversation when that's the conversation we're having. And that even wealthy people say to me, I'll pay more. I just need to see that the money's going to be spent well, that the schools will be better, that we will have public transportation, that I will feel safe. And I say, Come, that's fair. That's fair. Let's talk about it because I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. We're going to work it through. You just mentioned uh, too, too little of a certain type of uh, coalition building leadership over the last seven years under Mayor Bill de Blasio. You worked closely with him for a couple of years in City Hall. You've become uh, more and more critical of him on the, on the campaign trail. How do you boil down uh, what you see as his failure of leadership? At once, this is someone who's seen as a micromanager, but also seen as aloof, uh, someone who wants to weigh in on every detail, but also ran for president while he was being mayor. So there's sort of some contradictions there that seem to lead, lead to a lot of bottleneck in City Hall, a lot of challenges with getting things done. You know, what, what do you, how do you diagnose the problem of leadership under Bill de Blasio and how would your leadership be different? You know, this is such an important question because I'm the only candidate in this race who has sat in senior cabinet in City Hall and knows just how hot it gets up in that kitchen. And like they say, if you can't take the heat, get out. Um, I won't get out by going to Iowa. <laughs> and I know how hot it can get. I know what it means to sit in there and manage through 50 agencies, including trying to get them to do things differently. It does take a leader that understands and a mayor that understands part of what you're agreeing to do, one, is to have the hard conversations, have them. Don't shy away from them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of talking to people and calling them to the table, even when there's gonna be disagreement. And then be willing to take the body blows for the right thing, but do it transparently. Do it principally and it with principles. Do it having had the conversations and working through and finding as much common ground as possible. And do it being able to say exactly why you're doing it explain it and be able to say, I know we don't all agree, but this is why I'm gonna do it. Hold me accountable to the outcomes. I'm telling you, I think this can produce. That's the kind of leader I will be. And I will say that Bill de Blasio is someone who cared about what he said he was running on. I didn't know him before I went into city hall, but I was proud to be the first black woman who was a counsel to a New York city mayor. And I was proud that I was able to be truthful and honest and to stand up for what I believed in. And when I felt that that was getting more difficult, I voted with my feet. Uh, but that's the reality of the leadership that we are absolutely able to have in the city and that will help us do the hard work and do it together. Is there, is there one uh, incident or topic, issue area, change uh, that, was, that you were most vocal on that you didn't feel your voice was being heard? 
Well, look, you know, there comes a time when uh, there's too much attention to news headlines and not enough attention to people and the path to transformation. Uh, and I'm one who always has focused on the people. I'm running not as a politician, I'm running as someone who comes from community and comes from a mission and the mission is service and always has been. It was my parents' mission. It was a mission I was raised with. It's a mission I've lived every day of my working life, always in the not-for-profit or public sector. And it's what it means to run city government. It means to be in service to the people of the city of New York. One more, one more thing about what it means to run city government uh, in terms of less sort of um, leadership style that ties in, I guess, to management. Are you someone who would bring in your uh, deputies and your commissioners, let them obviously run things by you for approval, but sort of let them run with their expertise? Or how would you sort of manage the top level of city government? Um, because again, I think this, this gets at one of the challenges with solving problems the city has been facing is... Uh, the question of how much the current mayor has sort of let the issue area experts and his commissioners actually do things. Yeah, I think you said it beautifully, Ben. Look, you know, what management means from the big chair in City Hall is that you pick really good leaders, experts who know what they're doing and understand the mission and you set the mission. That's your job because the people elected you for it. And, and they know and understand the mission you make sure you move the barriers out of their way so they can get it done. That's part of the job of mayor. And sometimes moving those barriers means you take the body blows. You throw your body in the way so they can do and get done what they need to. And sometimes it means holding them accountable, right? Like we've seen with Commissioner Shea. Police commissioner needed to be held accountable, he wasn't. So sometimes it's also about holding accountable to the mission. And when you, if your leaders go off stray and they're no longer serving the public good, you gotta call them back and sometimes hand them the pink slip. But that's what the leadership means, but it means being very clear about the vision and what has to get done and ensuring that you're bringing folks to the table and making sure it's happening and it's happening with the voice of New Yorkers able to be participating in the conversation and be heard. And so that's the key part of it. Tying the idea of, of being bold and, and transformation and the idea of maybe needing to take some body blows on, on politically challenging things, a couple of uh, key tenets of your, of your campaign at this point uh, seem to be some pretty sweeping police reforms, including reducing the, head, the uniform headcount of the NYPD and shifting NYPD resources to, uh, to other uh, services, and then also uh, trying to desegregate the city schools. Those are two very politically fraught topics. Are those a couple of things um, that you think of when you think about taking body blows uh, politically for doing what you're, you know, you're setting out as a vision? Yes, absolutely. But here's the thing. I believe I'll take fewer body blows. And the reason is because one of the ways government has to work, it's the way I worked as an advocate, pulling together coalition, it's the way I worked uh, inside City Hall, it's the way I worked in academia as a senior vice president for social justice. It means we listen. You have to give people the opportunity to make sure you know what they're concerned about, make sure you know what their priorities are. I talk about putting the public 
back in public safety. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we have to right size the police department. It's bloated. It's got the big, it has literally had budget increases year in, year out, uh, even when other agencies were taking a hit. And for things that are not policing functions, right? That doesn't make sense. And if we're going to be effective and efficient government, but what are the priorities of policing? It is important to be able to listen to communities, particularly communities that have high rates of violent crime to say what they think the priorities are. So they have a voice in saying, and this is what I've heard. I'll give you an example. Maya, we have rising gun violence. No one's treating it as urgent. And I said, okay, so tell me, What's the role of police? What's the priority there? And they said, get the illegal guns out of our community, right? Stop them from coming in. Uh, we have the toughest gun control laws of any city in the country. The problem is illegal guns and how they get in. Appropriate role for police. Then you ask them, including a family, a friend of mine whose nephew was gunned down at 4.30 p.m. Central Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy, just going to the neighborhood public uh, grocery store and asked what they want, what they think will keep them safe. And you know what they told me? I said, Maya, we need trauma-informed care in our communities. We need more funding for our schools. We need more jobs for our young people. And you know, the research bears them out. If it's easier to get a job than a gun, guess which our young people pick up? The job. And so that's the kind of investment I've heard and listened to. That's why that's my gun violence prevention platform. And yes, there is a role for policing in it. But the more we do that kind of audit and then transform the structure of policing to be appropriate to the function, it will mean downsizing it. Because at least 60% of the calls that are coming to the NYPD probably aren't calls that need to go to a police officer with a badge and a gun. And if we are going to be honest with ourselves as a city and demand that government be effective and efficient, the police department has to be on the table too. It doesn't get a pass. What, what is the main role of police in terms of reducing gun violence? How do you, how do you sort of see that key role of uniformed police officers in reducing uh, gun violence? Well, as, as I've said, a big part of it is how guns are even coming into the city in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's something we need police focusing on. That's something that's appropriate for police resources, where and how they're being sold in community when they're illegal guns. Those are all appropriate functions. Uh, and obviously, if someone is killed, there's a murder investigation. There needs to be a murder investigation. Uh, and so much, though, of the resources that have to happen around that are that prevented in the first place. As we know, community-based violence interruption, often which are re-entry strategies for people who have been incarcerated as well because they become the most astoundingly impactful violence preventers when they are given the opportunity to work and solve community problems they know intimately. It's extremely effective at preventing the shooting before it even happens. And a lot of what they end up doing, and I've done site visits, not just in New York City, but in Chicago where the model emerged, is they actually become like social workers. And what they're doing is directing people to what they need. And that could be job training, that could be housing. <laughs> a lot of times what we're seeing is people who are traumatized, not able to get the mental health services they need, not able to get housing assistance, not able to get some of the things that lead to the violence in the first place. And it is so much more effective 
and so much safer and create so much more community to invest smartly our precious dollars and do it in what we should see as our most precious outcome, which is our people's lives. And that's what I would do as mayor. And on the, on the issue of schools, um, are, are you uh, basing your candidacy around the idea that you will have an aggressive uh, plan for desegregating the city's very segregated schools? You were co-chair of uh, de Blasio task force on this subject. You and I have talked about this a bit before. You've said you stand by the recommendations from that group, although COVID has thrown a lot of things up in the air, of course, uh, and the mayor has taken some recent steps that, that he long sort of stalled on on this front. But is that one thing that you're saying to voters that will be a top agenda item for you? Yeah, let me, let me say it this way, because I think it's important to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about excellent schools. We're talking about schools that work. And we're talking about schools that deliver what our children need to be really effective citizens. And I don't mean paperwork, I mean, I mean members of society in a pluralistic democracy, in a place where we have 800 languages spoken and in a global economy. And, and also in the sense of the economy itself, because they're much more able and prepared to be in the job market and be competitive in it if they're learning foreign languages if they're doing it in dual language learning, if they are in classrooms having their critical thinking skills challenged by people who think differently from them. And that's a lot of what we're talking about and there's research and evidence behind it. I'm talking about us being a 21st century, sophisticated and effective public education system that actually meets the needs of all our kids. And that, and if we start talking about it that way, some of these things we're talking about are things we do. But what was so, so important about the school diversity advancement group, I mean, advisory group, which was an amazing, and I, and I was thrilled and, uh, to be a co-chair with Hazel Dukes and Jose Calderon, but I was particularly proud because we had every stakeholder at the table. We had 42 people. We had parents. We had students, sometimes as young as middle school. We had, and, and, a, and a couple of CUNY students, we had educators, we had principals, we had the teachers unions and the principals administrators union. We had everybody. And it was a diverse group and it was a group that did not agree with each other when we walked in the door. So it's, a, it's exactly the kind of example of how, what we do, but we came up with a vision. And the truth is, we came up with a vision that was a 10-year vision. It wasn't an overnight vision. And it was a vision that said at its core, we're going to set goals, but we want to create room for schools and districts and communities to figure out what works to get to those goals that most represent what's happening in their communities. And that the DOE should invest in it. It was not a top-down, we're going to tell you what to do. It was a bottom-up we're going to incentivize you to, in, to innovate. And one of the things that I will do as mayor is recognize that our kids have now lost a year. And one of the things that is true about what some experiments that are working that we need to take into our school system and expand are experiments that recognize that our kids can learn. And even when they're behind grade level, they can do accelerated learning. We've got a school, uh, P-TECH, which is a high school, which has kids who start even behind grade level who do college level work. And it's a wonderful model. Uh, and so while we're talking about catching our kids up from a lost year, thanks to this 
awful crisis we call COVID, we should be thinking about how it helps us innovate in the system in ways that, in an exciting way, in a way that, it, that excites parents and students alike, makes kids want to learn, creates different kinds of learning opportunities for them. And that does include classrooms that look like the city of New York, because those are better classrooms. They're smarter classrooms. They're more engaging classrooms. And we have the opportunity now with COVID to recognize the box has been blown up. We're not trying to stay in a blown up box. We're trying to figure out how to get out of it, stay out of it and be innovative and exciting and creative and call all our folks together to be one of the best systems we can, the country has ever seen. Let me, um, we're in our last five minutes here already uh, very quickly. So um, let me try to get to a couple more things with you. I wanna come back to your time at City Hall as counsel to the mayor. When, when you were counsel to the mayor, that was a, a time where the mayor came into office uh, he kind of kind of thought he could do a lot of whatever whatever he wanted, so to speak, in a number of ways. He got himself into trouble politically. He got himself into some trouble ethically. There were there were a couple of uh, episodes that that got into that ethical trouble where uh, it seems like you were giving him advice. One was around who he could fundraise from, and then uh, you know do government meetings with. Another one was around which uh, communications he could shield with outside advisors. I don't want to rehash all of that. What I want to ask you is if there's people who followed that closely and want to know what would a mayor, Maya Wiley, put in place in terms of ethical guide rails at City Hall that's different from what Bill de Blasio did, how would you say to them, these are the guide rails that I will put in place to make sure I'm running the utmost ethical uh, administration? Thank you for that question, Ben. I really appreciate it because nothing means more to me than integrity. Uh, in my family, I grew up with grand grandparents who reminded everyone in the family, you were a Wiley. And what that meant is, and they were deeply religious people, and what that meant was principled, what that meant was honest, what that meant was walking out the door every day, knowing that you were gonna be able to hold your head high and everyone else in the family was gonna be able to too, because you were gonna live up to principles that mattered and, and have integrity. So for me, number one, it means I'm already doing it in this campaign. It means not taking money from lobbyists, not taking money from real estate principals and developers and large landlords. Uh, and I'm not taking money from PACs, from, from police unions, from fossil fuels, because it's so critically important for people to know that the only reason you're doing it and the only people you're accountable to are the people of the city of New York. Secondly, transparency. It's critically important. One of the most important challenges we have coming together as a city to recover from this crisis is transparency so that we can reestablish public trust. You know, if I was mayor, no one would have had to sue the administration for those emails. Let me just say that. I would have released them. No, no journalist should have had to sue, sue them. Uh, we're already working very hard as a campaign to make sure folks have my public schedule so that there's no question. I know not every campaign is doing that. We're doing that. We're not trying to hide and I'm never gonna try to hide. And it's part of why I talk about the value of having hard conversations and not being afraid of hard conversations. Uh, one of the things that the mayor sets the tone on is whether or not people have permission to have hard conversations and whether they can be out there and be honest with folks. And in a My Wiley Merrill administration, it's gonna be about transparency and it's gonna be about honesty and it's going to be about integrity. 
because that's the only way we can be effective and work last, together. Last minute, unfortunately, but um, I want to ask you, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk in this race. Um, some candidates like yourself are talking about sort of more social justice, racial justice, bold transformational change. Other candidates are talking about, we got to come out of the Bill de Blasio era, really focus on just basic city services. So how do you respond to folks who might be worried about the latter for you? Uh, that you wouldn't be as focused on, you know, basic city services, snow removal, picking up the garbage, whatever it might be um, that, that, you know, seems to be the thrust of some other candidates. I'm running to be the next mayor of New York City because I believe and know that we can be a city where everyone lives with dignity. And dignity means that the city works for the people. And I live in communities and I visit communities and I care about communities where the garbage doesn't get picked up the way people have demanded. Uh, and where city services are not necessarily equally meted out as far as communities are concerned. And the reality is there is no dignity if the garbage is piling up on your street. There is no dignity if you can't get to where you need to go, whether that's work or school. And there is no dignity if a city government says you don't matter. And what matters and what is so exciting and important about city government is it touches everyone's life directly. And that is an incredible trust to put in anyone. And city servants, public servants, serve in order to recognize and be that trust point. So what I say is, I love this city. I've lived in this city for 30 years. I am not going anywhere. And I'm running for mayor because it is critical that the city serves all of us with all of our needs. And I'm excited about that opportunity. Well, we will have to leave it there. We will, of course, talk to you more as the campaign unfolds. Maya Wiley is a Democratic candidate for mayor. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for watching Decision NYC with Ben Max. Key decisions for New York City voters are coming up in the June primaries and fall general election. There's a lot on the line for all of us and the future of New York City. I hope this conversation and others are helpful to you as you make your choices. I'm Ben Max. See you next time.